Here we are, day two of National Podcast Post Month. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, geeks and geekettes. This is Seth, a.k.a. Xandrax, the mayor of Geekville and the host of Geekville Radio, coming at you with day two, Napod Pomo. That really sounds weird to say. I think I'm just going to keep calling it National Podcast Post Month. November, in the year of our Lord, 2023, we are going back to the vaults and we are doing an encore presentation of the inaugural inductee into our lesser-known Geek Hall of Fame. And in the lesser-known Geek Hall of Fame, as the name implies, we talk about the characters that might not be the A-list superheroes or the A-list geek characters, but may be people who have influenced said A-listers. In other words, maybe they're underappreciated with their place in history. And our inaugural inductee is The Shadow. Crazy Train and myself will dive into all things The Shadow and how influential that character was on really the entire superhero genre and the entire vigilante genre. And you may notice a certain similarities with a certain other rich billionaire playboy type who masquerades as a vigilante at night. So if you've heard this before, hopefully you'll enjoy it again. If this is your first time hearing, sit back, relax, and dive into all things The Shadow with our lesser-known geek, Hall of Fame. Geekville Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is a new era, kind of a new dawn, a new series in the Geekville Radio family. My name is Seth, a.k.a. Xanderax, the mayor of Geekville and the host of Geekville Radio. And we are introducing a new show under the Geekville banner. And I don't have to do this alone. Joining me for this inaugural segment, this inaugural show, is Crazy Train Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. This is an idea we bandied about, and we came into unusually came to a consensus that this should be the first show of this new title under the Geekville banner. So I'm kind of excited. It's one of my all-time favorites, but yes. Seth, I'll let you take it away. We are entitling this show the Lesser Known Geek Hall of Fame, which I know kind of sounds like a oxymoron, Lesser Known Hall of Fame, but as the name implies, we are going to be looking at characters that might not be A-listers, might not be the first heroes or villains, because we are going to talk about villains, that roll off your tongue, but these are characters that we believe deserve to have their annals in history, so to speak. They, they've earned their place in the history of comics and movies and science fiction and, and all that stuff, you know, because... Either they were forerunners of what those characters became, or just they kind of maybe forged their own their own path. And our inaugural entry into the lesser-known Geek Hall of Fame, as that classic 1930s intro showed, is The Shadow. And the reason we kind of mutually agreed not only to have The Shadow as our inaugural topic, but the reason why The Shadow should be the first character that we talk about is just that. The Shadow first appeared in radio in 1930, although there's a little bit of a story to that, but then went into print in 1931. The Shadow was kind of really 
could be argued as being the first superhero because he was the first character that had abilities that normal people did not possess. And Train, I'll turn it over to you as far as uh, kind of the concept maybe of, of the shadow. And then we'll, then we'll look into the, kind of like the first appearances of the character in media. And then we'll run into the kind of the history of the character from there. What, what do you say? Sure. That's, that sounds good to me. Caveat for our listeners. The shadow was, as Seth implied, later after his beginning in literature became a radio broadcast, was my father's favorite radio show growing up. And so he grew up in the era before television. They didn't get TV until the mid fifties. And the shadow was his favorite show. He liked the Lone Ranger and Green Hornet and a few other characters we might bring up in later episodes, but the shadow was always his favorite. And he really got me into it. He went to our library at the public library in Denver. When I was a young boy, I was probably seven or eight years old and found old reel to reel tapes and 12 inch vinyls that were preserved broadcasts of the original radio show. And I got to listen to them and I fell in love with them. And that kind of, as I got older, dove into a little more research. The shadow was just so cool to me because I'd already was reading comic books at this point. And I was familiar, you know, seventies. I watched the super friends. I was already reading Spider-Man. I was just starting to read Ghost Rider at that time to see the analogies that could be made and realizing, wow, he came before all these. And I can see some of the ideas that came from the template, so to speak. You know, and we'll talk about all the different things. We wrap it up in his legacy. As we talk about the shadow, you'll see how he became the template for what the modern day comic book superhero was and the idea of having powers. His power was the ability to, as they would say in the radio show, the ability to cloud men's minds so they could not see him. So he, he had invisibility was essentially his, his superpower and a power of hypnotism. Uh, I mean, it wasn't a, a power like Superman's because he was an alien or somebody like, like, Wonder Woman because she's obviously a, a goddess or, 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 a, or a Thor because he's a god. It wasn't those kind of powers. It was a power or, that was practiced. It was something he Yeah, he learned. learned it. He learned it, exactly. But it was still a power nonetheless. Does that make Tony Stark any less powered because he's brilliant and creates all this tech? No. So the shadow to me is just the, the, the prototype of, of what a hero is or what we perceive a comic book hero to be. And as we describe his backstory... Kind of in the back of your minds, think about that. And you'll go, oh, okay, that's that's Batman. Or, oh, that's that's Reed Richards. Or, oh, you're going to see the analogies as we go along. Don't you think, Seth? Absolutely. As I said at the top of the show earlier, the character was actually introduced in 1930 because Street and Smith was the, the, the publication. They made what became known as... Uh, pulp novels or, or, or pulp stories. Yes, that's where the term pulp fiction comes from. Uh, for those of you that that may only know the the '90s movie, in those times, the '20s and the '30s, there were books that were sold on the magazine stands that were fictional stories, usually some sort of action or drama. And the detective story is really what thrived at the time. Uh, I kind of sure. make the analogy that the, the detective stories may have been kind of the superhero stories. For the kids uh, in those days, because we're talking the 20s going into the Great Depression and right. outer space and science fiction and computers and all that stuff weren't the commonplace that they were today. So th stuff was very gritty and, and real world. Right. It's kind of a, the term pot boiler came from this, the idea of a slow simmering story that like finally erupted at the end. I think obviously Mickey Spillane and the Mike Hammer stuff was very, film noir of the 40s mm -hmm. yeah. was a lot of the pulp stuff. 
Pulp Fiction by by Quentin Tarantino is not a bad example of what Pulp was. It was gritty and it was true crime. I used to say air quotes when I say that, but but kind of that's kind of what with a dash of of mysticism, a dash of sci fi. But what was the analogy that we made was we were describing one of the episodes in, in our in our pre formatting of this. <laughs> some ways, some of the episodes were similar to uh, like a Scooby Doo mystery. Yeah, they? absolutely. Yeah, but they're not 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 in the sense you take the mask off and it's the old guy, but you know, it's somebody that it seems like it's a haunted or something, and then the shadow finds out, and it's not. It's just somebody trying to get rich, right? So, and of course, there'd be no, and I would have gotten away with it if it hadn't been for you kids and that dog. But that's, that's no, no, kind it, of it, it's, the point. it's it's the shadow turning them over to the cops, and they justice is served. That's kind of the ending you see there, but right. <laughs> but to describe the character, the first incarnation, for lack of a better term, was. Street and Smith wanted to sell their detective magazines. And at the time, obviously 1930, TV hadn't been invented yet. There was no internet. There, there were even movies. Obviously, you had you still had to pay to go see and such. So the main medium of entertainment that was available to people was radio. And I'm sure most people, even if they haven't heard these stories, have probably at least heard of the concept of the radio drama, because that's what the norm was before TV. So Street and Smith was the publisher of these detective magazines, and they wanted to recreate some of their stories from their books to this radio format to then carry that over. Yeah. Push people out of their house to go buy the magazine. It was right. advertising. It was, right. It's what it was. Yeah. And when they started doing this, the company that was producing the actual radio dramas pitch the idea of having a character introduce each story, which again is very much a trope of, or I guess you could call them anthology because these were anthology stories. They were, they were all kind of self-contained beginning, middle and end in each episode. And most episodes had different characters in them. So. Right. And I believe the magazines themselves would have like four or five stories each, wouldn't they? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And so the idea was pitched to have a character that just kind of served as a narrator or somebody who would introduce these stories and somebody who worked for them had the idea of just the shadow. So the shadow, you could kind of say, was the forerunner to the Crypt Keeper or Freddy Krueger and Freddy's Nightmares or uh, Rod Serling for, for The Twilight right. Zone, where he would introduce these shows and he would only appear at the beginning and the end and then the rest was what was the show itself. And what happened was the kids or families or whoever would hear the shadow introduce these radio dramas and then hear that they can get these co these comics or these books at their local newsstands. So the kids started going to the newsstands looking for these shadow comics, except for shadow comics or shadow stories didn't exist. So Street and Smith, realizing they had a hit in their hands, then adapted the shadow to their pulp stories. And that's kind of where the shadow first became put into print. So what I think is kind of interesting about this, and then I'll throw it to you, Train, is a lot of characters make their start in print and then get adapted into media. The shadow was the other way around. He started in radio and <laughs> then got adapted into print. Right, right. Uh, I guess more modern examples of that would be maybe a Batgirl from the, six, the 60s Batman show mm -hmm. or Harley Quinn. Those are two more modern examples of that, but it, it hadn't happened very often. That's for sure. Um, 
So like Seth said, they're, here they are. They know they got a hit on their hand. They hired William Gibson, who I think was already one of their regular writers anyway, to kind of flesh out this character of the shadow and make him a character who could carry his own story. And so he did. And, and then all the backstory that we have for the shadow was laid out in these first few years of the pulp magazines. And we, this is when you really start to see the analogies of what became years later, the prototype vigilante type superhero in the, in the, in the pulp magazines, he was originally named, what was it? Henry Allard, I believe. I believe it was right? Kent, Kent Allard or Kent, Kent Allard. Maybe I'm saying that wrong, right. but yeah, yeah. In, in the print, he had many pseudonyms. He had many yeah. al- alter Aliens. egos and he was a master disguise detective without superpowers. Sound kind of familiar here, folks? Master disguise, no superpowers, fights crime. Yeah, he was a World War One vet. Of course, at the time there was uh, it was the Great War. There had been no World War Two yet, so a lot of his skills you 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 just kind of assumed he learned in the in the military service, and that was pretty much the story. Here was this guy that was a master disguise. He was, he was a little bit Batman, a little bit James Bond. Are we seeing some familiarity here? You know, this guy had all these skills, and he would use them to fight crime, and. One of his many aliases that the one you'll hear the most about as we go on was Lamont Cranston. Lamont Cranston was his socialite playboy foppish alias. Again, sound uh, familiar? Think, <laughs> yeah. I think he became not only, and we'll talk about this when we get to the radio stuff. I don't think that, I don't think that it was any surprise that that was the one they chose to go with when they got to the radio. Cause I think he was kind of already the, the, the fan favorite to begin with, you know, and if you think about it, this isn't street level crime. This is like jewel thieves and, and safe crackers. He's only going to find that stuff out if he's running in those circles. It's escapism. Who doesn't want to be rich and good looking and get all the girls? So I think that fantasy element, the escapism that we read comics for, well, here's kind of the start of it. You see where I'm going with that, Seth? Yeah, absolutely. And me kind of joking and saying, does that sound familiar? You know, a lot of these elements here, master disguise, master detective, no superpowers, street level crime, master, the, the, you know. ma- master martial artist. Yeah, these wow, are, this is starting to really familiar. Yes, yeah, it's it's very much uh, Batman like, and I believe Bob Kane and Bill Finger, who did the the early Batman comics, drew inspiration from from the Shadow. Yeah, I cannot remember the exact episode of the radio show, The Shadow, but I think it was the the Mystery of the Chemical Syndicate. I believe was the name of the episode. It was one of the early ones. They essentially stole the storyline of that shadow radio episode for the backstory of batman yeah that makes sense they don't deny the fact they were influenced heavily by gibson and his early stories of the shadow now train one of the things we we talk about when dealing with characters heroes villains or whatever there is that trope that kind of came along or the terminology especially from the D books of the the alignment the lawful good the the chaotic good and such all through evil I think the shadow would probably fall into maybe the chaotic good type where he fights outside the law. He's obviously a vigilante, but yet he's fighting for the law. Does that seem fair to say, or do you think he fits under a different alignment? No, I, I, I kind of agree with it. I think that almost anybody who's a vigilante could be classified as chaotic because, like you said, they're going outside the law. But that would also lead me to maybe say he's, he's neutral good because I don't think he wants to work outside the law. He just kind of is forced to. And he definitely has his own code of ethics and morals. The Shadow's a very moral character. Mm -hmm. So he's 
somewhat ambiguous where law and order is concerned, but he's definitely good. So neutral good, chaotic good. I guess you can flip a coin and decide. He's not lawful good, that's for sure. Right. In Captain right. America, he is not. <laughs> yeah. After the character was brought into books, there were also comic adaptions. And like a lot of titles in those days, there really wasn't any set continuity. It's like what I, what I was saying before about them being anthology titles. So there were differences between the print version that was in the comics and in the, the, the books. There, there were elements of that character that were different than what was in the radio show. Like, like probably the most obvious one being the name Kent Allard versus uh, Lamont Cranston. But right. the radio show incarnation really is kind of the one that everybody thinks of when they think of the character. Right. And that is the one that had the hypnosis uh, elements. Right. Part of that is because Gibson himself was a bit of a magician. So he right. kind of knew, I don't really want to say tricks of the trade, but his interest in magic and being a magician, I think, kind of influenced his creation of the character. And the radio show, I think, is also really where a lot of the elements came from right. that became what the character became essentially because after a couple of years i think it was around 1935 1936 might have been a little bit later than that you might know better than me train but that was really yeah. when they had just outright changed the format of the radio show to be introduced by the shadow to being adventures of the shadow is that does that right. sound about right yeah about 35 i think 38 was actually when it really started but it was 35 they were headed that way and and I, one of the things i've heard gibson say of course he's Sadly, no longer with us, but I heard him say in an interview that I watched years ago that part of the reason he went with the, 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 I could hypnotize cloud men's mind so they could not see him was the, the way they always use in the intro when they gave the backstory was simply there were people at the radio going, how are we going to describe people not seeing him? How's he not getting caught? How's he, how are all these gunfire going off? And he doesn't get hit. And he's like, well, I'll just make him invisible. He can't hit, we can't see. It was, it was kind of a, mm -hmm. kind of a cop out that wound up becoming a superpower. It, it's this time that you're talking about though, with the pulp magazines and the move over to comics, the, what we, what's the common iconic visual of what the shadow looks like. Cause obviously the people listening to radio were just visualizing in their mind was based on the covers of these pulp magazines and in the comics and the traditional look of the shadow is a guy who wears a, a nice suit with this long black cloak uh, that's cow, like, a, like a, almost like a duster or a trench coat or even like that kind of coat with a scarf wrapped around the bottom of his face. You can only see his eyes and a big black fedora and he dual wields two Colt, Colt 45s, you know, old 1911 military sidearms. And I mean, well, they were so good. Our, our, our military gave them as the, that was a typical sidearm of an officer from 1911 until I think it was like the mid 2000s. They finally got rid of them. An upgraded mm -hmm. nine millimeter. So how oh, almost the hundred years? They're pretty reliable firearms. But that's the iconic picture of the shadow: the fedora, the, only the eyes because of the red scarf, the black cow duster, the dual wielding forty fives. That's the vision of the shadow. And what you kind of see transpires. We move on to what he looks like when we get into later movies and television and stuff like that. But if you think about it, that kind of looks like a superhero. Think of the question. That's similar to the question, or Rorschach mm -hmm. was Mollett's question. In fact, in early Batman comics, Batman used a gun. A lot of people don't know that. And he used a 45. Once again, because Bob Kane and Bill Fear said, well, we were modeling him after the shadow. There you go. Uh, I think in some of the later comics, and we'll talk about that later, I think even the cloak might have even had like some 
some Kevlar in it or something like that. But everything progresses and, and changes for times. But for the 1930s, that was it. Really, really. I just think the look of the shadow is one of the coolest looking good guys of all time. What say ye, Seth? Absolutely. It, it's one of those things. It almost looks like something out of a horror trope, but yet this is the good guy mm-hmm. where all you see are those eyes, usually I think depicted as being green, and then the, the big nose and the scarf. And then, of course, you got the, right. the wide-brimmed hat and that intro we heard at the beginning with, with the laugh, but yet he's the good guy. Right. Uh, we talk about all the time on Geekville proper, the surge of anti-heroes in the 80s. The Shadow might have been the first anti-hero. He really might have been. This dark, gritty, kind of above the law, good guy who used guns and he, he wasn't afraid to use fear and intimidation tactics. Once again, that should sound familiar, right? <laughs> so, so like Seth said, you know, 1938, 35, he was starting to get ready. By 38, Mutual Broadcasting, which was one of the big radio broadcasting companies, jumped full into a regular shadow show that were 30-minute episodes, which was pretty common at the time for radio dramas, where the shadow was not just the narrator, but the actual character. We'd fleshed out now. They dropped the, the, the Kent Allard, and it was just Lamont Cranston. And this is the stuff I think most people like myself, and I mentioned earlier, really got into the shadow. This mm-hmm. radio drama. There were a multitude of actors that played the, the shadow. A very young Orson Welles, I want to say maybe he was 22 or 23 years old, was yeah. the original shadow. Yeah. I just think about that. A young up-and-coming actor named Orson Welles. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. What, yeah. I think he did pretty well for himself. I mean, I think he went on to like direct what's generally regarded the greatest movie of all time, <laughs> but I digress. And a lot of the, the elements of that hadn't really been fleshed out, or maybe even the tropes would be the better, better word to say, from the pulps and the early comics become begin to get fleshed out in, in, the, in the radio show. But after Orson Welles, there's another veteran radio voice actor named Bill Silverstone who does it. There was a guy named Brett Wolverton, who was my personal favorite. He, he actually played the shadow longer than anybody else. Cause he did it twice. He did it and combined his two runs out up to 10 years because the shadow ran for almost 20 years on the radio. It essentially ran from 38 until TV took over in the mid fifties, like 55, 56, somewhere in there. Yeah. I think it sounds uh, I mean, about right. And that's, that's crazy. When you think about how long a run that is another no, noteworthy shadow from the radio days with John Archer. He did some of the later stuff in the late forties and early fifties. I think the green eyes that we see a lot comes from Brett, Wol- Brett Wolverton. Cause I think he had green eyes. So it would make sense. They take the guy who's voicing him at, and kind of model of his physical appearance after that. But these are, they're readily available to listen to. Like I said, they're, they're available on, on um, CD on vinyl. You can look them up on Amazon prime. You can look them up on, Anywhere that you, you get recorded stuff, they sell them. I, I think even I think maybe even iTunes or Google has some stuff. And a lot of them are also available just to listen to on YouTube. There's the whole websites dedicated to the shadow. Wikipedia has a, a list of all the, the radio episodes. So it's very readily available, but they are darker. Darker by the 30s and 40s standards. But the names of the of the episodes are, I mean, the cavern of death, devil from the deep. The Mansion of Madness, the Flaming Skull. They're very dark and mysterious. And the, and the elements that, the, that are fleshed out in the radio show, I think, are, are also, you're going to begin to see analogies again. He was just a man. Even though he had this ability to cloud people's minds, he had a cadre of, of support help. Does this sound familiar? 
other heroes helping him out. He had a mm-hmm. network of operatives, as he called them. Probably the most famous would be Margot Lang, who was his female companion. It was alluded to a romantic involvement, but nothing overtly at any time. And I think Margot Lang would be very popular in today's world with the, the, the social climate of today. She was not a damsel in distress. Lamont saw her as an equal. She was just as involved physically and gathering clues and helping solve cases as he was. Uh, she was a strong, independent woman. She, she wrote for a newspaper. That should also sound familiar. <laughs> the love interest of the hero being a newspaper, a female newspaper reporter. With the last name Lane? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, just, just saying. Yeah, exactly. But she was his most famous. And I think that, that a lot of people think, well, back in the 30s, all the women were, were damsels in distress. Not Margo. No, no. Not Margo. Absolutely right. I remember hearing a couple episodes when I was very young from uh, that were on a cassette tape. And mm-hmm. yeah, there, there were times where she would think of things before he did. And that, that's, I think, when, he, when you look at it in those days, like you said, the 30s. And the sexual she, politics were very different back then than they are now. Right, right. Long right. before ERA and women's lib movement and all that stuff. Yeah. Right. So yeah, you, you could kind of, take the Margot Lane character and look at her as being kind of the girl power of her day. Right. She was. She, she, really, she really was. Margot, depending on which source you look at in the radio show, she was uh, a, a contemporary of Lamont. I believe they went to college together. It was the connection in the, in the radio show, if I remember right. But the, the vast majority of his web of operatives were people that the shadow had saved, and then they would owe him. So he would put them in his employ. And some of the more notable ones that you'll see across multiple episodes would be Mo Shrevnitz, known as Shrevy. He was a Jewish cab driver in New York because the shadow was based in New York. We forgot to mention that. Of course, a cabbie would be a great guy to have an ear to the ground. He had a, a, a radio operator that was back at his hideout called Burbank Yeah, that would keep the radio. He had a, a contact through university. It was a Dr. Tam who was his connection in Chinatown. And in fact, the very first one that I can remember is actually from the very first radio episode with Orson Welles. His name was Harry Vincent. He was a guy who was going to jump off the, the Brooklyn Bridge and the shadow talked him down. And so he owed him and he became one of his operatives. But those were kind of his typical web of, of operatives. He had operatives within the police force because he, like a lot of vigilantes in comics, once again, let's set a template, was hunted down by the, by the police at the beginning of his career. But his time when the radio show went on, they began to trust him, and he became a, an ally to the police. The, the, the biggest one would be uh, Detective Joseph Cardona. He was a detective in the police department. He was one of his operatives. And I cannot remember the character's name, but he shows up all the time. He was actually the after-hours janitor at the police precinct. And he would be the one that would open locks so that the shadow could get in and check police records, that kind of stuff. And two of the biggest that he would use outside of the, the shadow, but he was in his alias as Lamont Cranston, were his uncle, who, who was uh, Wayne White Barth, who was the publisher of one of the big, big newspapers there in New York, and police commissioner Ralph Weston. And Barth was, depending on which radio, wasn't, there was some continuity. Sometimes he was a police commissioner as well. Sometimes he was a newspaper owner. Didn't matter. Well, Wayne Wright was Lamont's uncle. And they would all go to the Cobalt Club, which was a uh, you know, nightclub, a jazz club of that era. And he would be in his foppish playboy persona and they would be talking about cases and he would gather information that completely oblivious to the fact this guy's the shadow that was always a comedic effect and they, they would talk about boy if we could catch that shadow and they would ask lamont lamont would laugh and I'm, oh yeah he's crazy 
that should sound familiar about uh, some other things and how the police dealt with. Does that sound familiar to you, Seth? That, that, mm-hmm. that particular? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that was the supporting cast. And they were very much important. Obviously, the shadow's the main dude. He's the one that goes in and, and goes into the hail of bullets. But he doesn't, he's, he, he doesn't have super hearing. He can't hear everything. So he had all these operatives. And then, of course, the other thing, once you talk about his support group, would lead to the opposite, which was his villains. And like comic book characters that he inspired, he had a litany of villains as well. The most well-known was probably Shiwa Khan, who was supposed to be a direct descendant of Genghis Khan, who also came from the same part of the Orient where he, or excuse me, you can't say the Orient anymore, politically, that's politically, from Southeast Asia, <laughs> who also had mastered this ability to cloud people's mind. But that was his joker, essentially. But he had others. He had a lot of mad scientists. He had a lot of mystical. He had a lot of, of, of like organized crime kingpins. I remember there was one, I can't remember his first name, but his street name was the Prince of Death or the Prince of Evil, something like that. He was a, yeah. a mob boss and he had a voodoo master. He had one called the Wasp. No, not Janet Van Dyne, but that was another. And another thing I find fascinating, and I remember this from the later years, the John Archer years, like 47, 48, 49, there was a like organization that he fought called The Hand long before Marvel created that into a, a group of ninjas. They were uh, similar to like, say, Chaos and Get Smart, but they were, you know, a, a, an organized group of criminals. Mm-hmm. And he, they, were, they were another common villain for him. And uh, there were also episodes in the radio show that, that were standalone. They, they might not have been recurring characters, but going back to kind of the maybe the darker, more horror-like elements, there were episodes where the Shadow had to deal with stuff like vampires or, or werewolves. I, I shouldn't say vampires per se. It might, might have been somebody masquerading as a vampire, but I know there was an episode or two of the radio show that dealt with werewolves. And, and these oh, there were supernatural vampires. type characters, yeah. There were, there were vampire ghosts, that kind of stuff. Demons. Yeah, there were a lot of horror elements too. Those were the ones that often became the Scooby-Doo-ish ones, you know, where at the end it winds up being somebody in a mask, just mm-hmm. using it to scare away people for something. Uh, I remember there was even one episode called The Flaming Skull that was a John Archer one from 47, where they were dealing with issues at the time, 1947. This is right after the bomb. This guy, this, this, per, this character, the villain appeared as a flaming skull and skeleton and come to find out he was actually a scientist who had been exposed to radium he was a re- he's irradiated and that's why he was causing cameras to the film to be destroyed and stuff so they were even dealing with what was actual fears of the time if you think about it which is once again another trope <laughs> they have comic book writers write things about whatever current so mm-hmm. anything you want to add about his supporting cast or his enemies from the radio days well i did see uh, a list of enemy characters here uh, from the Wikipedia page. And by the way, uh, the show notes for this episode are going to be available at geekvilleradio.com slash shadow. If you just go to geekvilleradio.com slash shadow, I'm going to put links to all the stuff that we're talking about here, including links to the episodes and articles and such. But just reading this list definitely sounds like something out of a silver or golden age list of villains. There's the Death Giver, Gray Fist, Black Dragon, Silver Skull, the Black Master, Gray Ghost, Dr. Z. Things that would make Stan Lee jealous, right? <laughs> right, right. Well, we already talked about the radio show ran its course, and that led into a little bit of the, the, the short-lived television attempts. I think you have some information on the TV stuff, don't you, Seth? 
Yeah, I'm not that familiar with that. Yeah, there there were, I believe, two attempts at the TV show. One just outright being called The Shadow, and that did make air. And then there was another attempt after that in, in the 50s that was called The Invisible Avenger. And according to Wikipedia, it actually never aired. But it was released as a theatrical film called Bourbon Street Shadows. That was the one that took place in New Orleans, wasn't it? Yes, yes. So if you seek that out, that was actually episodes originally intended for TV broadcast that were adapted for uh, a feature film. And, you know, that wasn't unusual at the time. A lot of what we think of as like classic vintage early days of television actually were radio shows. I Love Lucy, Mm -hmm. Amos and Andy, The Lone Ranger. Those were radio hits that became television shows. So it, it was only natural that the TV people would, the shadow was a big hit. Shadow as a radio hit was comparable, let's be honest, to NCIS Law and Order of today. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. It ran for 20 years. And I think really the only thing that stopped it from continuing as a radio show was because TV came along. And it only makes sense that they would uh, try to adapt the character for TV. The, The first attempt was in 54. I don't know if episodes exist, but yeah, so 54 and 58, those were the the years that they tried to do a shadow TV show, but it looks like both uh, both attempts failed. And I wonder personally, as iconic as the look we've talked about, the shadow with the, the fedora and the scarf and everything, what was one of its strengths for radio, the fact he could go invisible, probably was to its detriment in the early days of limited special effects. In, in a television show, wouldn't you think? I'm speculating here, folks, but what do you think, Seth? I think it's very possible because nowadays you can do things where the scarf might just be animated. It just might be CGI, so you can have it wave and flare around however you want. Whereas right. in those days of live action, well, you had to turn on a big fan and that scarf's going to wave wherever it's going to wave. It was a strength for radio, but probably hurt it when he got television, but I digress. Well, here, here's really where I think after the failed television attempts are when the comic, comic books are really start because we're, we're really on the precipice of what we would call the Silver Age of comics. That would be 63, you know, Fantastic Four, Justice League. That's when the, the comic book people started taking interest in the shadow. And I believe you have a lot of information on that, don't you, Seth? Yeah, there were several companies that had publishing rights uh, over the years. Street and Smith themselves published comics in the 40s. And again, that's kind of that uh, pulp anthology type format where the first story of the issue would be a story starring the shadow. And then there would be other non-shadow stories from the radio show that would be adapted to comic form. And that ran probably, I don't know if it ran as long as the radio show did, but it certainly ran several issues for its time. Archie Comics actually had a run in the 60s. I never actually read any of those comics, but since it's Archie, I would imagine they were probably lighter in tone. And then DC actually had a run in the 70s with Dennis O'Neill, who probably most famously did the Green Arrow, Green Lantern stories. And he did did some Batman in the 70s, kind of made Batman back into be a darker character again. Right. And as luck would have it, in 73, 74, somewhere around there, there was a story where Batman did meet the Shadow and actually told the Shadow that he was an inspiration to him, meaning Shadow was an inspiration to Batman. And they also depicted the Shadow as knowing, without ever having met Bruce Wayne. or that actually, he was think, Batman. Right, right. The Shadow knew that, that Bruce Wayne was Batman. And, Master Detective. Yeah, absolutely. And then 
DC also had a run in the 80s. I think it was only a limited series, but there was a series called Blood and Judgment by Howard Chaikin, who definitely has a lot of titles to his cred. And that was very much a darker, more violent. It was a basically an R-rated take on the character. And Lamont Cranston was carrying, I think it was two MAC-10s instead of the Colt 45s. You'd have people getting shot in the face and stuff. And Well, this is know. the era of Rambo and the Punisher and RoboCop, so it kind of makes sense. <laughs> right. That's kind of right. where we had got Wolverine. We had gone that. Denny O'Neill is, the to me, for that era, would have been the perfect guy. I think a more modern, even though he's kind of semi-retired, Frank Miller would have a great run if he got a hold of the shadow, I think. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he, he'd be a perfect name for it. But one other thing about that run in 86, where the first issue has that picture of the shadow holding his uh, Mac-10s or Uzis, and the caption is, he's back, and God help the guilty. Is there any more <laughs> 80s tagline that you can get for an action hero than that? Uh, the, Re- the Reagan era. How fun was it to be alive <laughs> yeah. at that time? <laughs> Because we were American, we just kicked ass. We didn't take no names. (laughs) (laughs) But one thing I I would add to that, I I know the violence was pretty, maybe over the top might not be the word, but certainly, like I said, probably R-rated, is I remember radio shows where there were characters where the bad guy shoots them twice in the head, and they distinctly describe as that's what happened. And I'm like, hey, people are being told that in the 30s. I I don't really see any difference from depicting it in comic book form uh, in in Mm. comics. In, but quite visual at that point, especially if it's a good artist. But but even as recently as last year, within the last year or two, because right now Dynamite Comics has the publishing rights of Shadow, and their format, what, what Dynamite Comics does, is kind of the reason they exist, is they take other people's properties. That's probably not the right way to, to, to look at it. They get pu- comic publishing rights for established um, characters yeah yeah it's yeah franchises yeah like like they did the freddy versus jason versus ash story i think they right. have uh, like hercules and xena and and t- titles like that and that's they, they're publishing shadow comics now and they did a recent multi-issue crossover with batman it's simply just called batman and the shadow i believe i have not read it but when we were doing the, the research for the show that's when I heard about that title. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm going to check this out. So you definitely have a, a list of comics, probably almost as long as the episodes for the radio show, just with with all the different uh, publishers over the years. You don't think they would ever go as far as to have the Shadow Beat Ash, do you? I don't know how that conversation would go. <laughs> <laughs> Boomstick meets the dual wielding pistol, like. I don't know. If they did, we if they do if they ever do that, ladies and gentlemen, we guarantee you we will riff track that movie, won't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> anyway, well, I think a lot of our our listeners who aren't familiar with the comics or aren't familiar with the old radio show, if they do know the Shadow, they probably know it from, from the the mid nineties movie starring Alec Baldwin. When you kind of guess the same, yeah, I think it's fair to say. And and I was working in a theater when that movie came out, and I was chopping at the bit for that movie to come out because again, drawing from hearing some of the radio stuff uh, from my childhood. And I can't say the movie was bad. Now, granted, it's been a long time since I've seen it. Uh, But Mm -hmm. I think what they got right, they got right. And there was stuff that I think maybe might have been a bit too campy for its time, like like the way Alec Baldwin, who played Lamont Cranston, would kind of morph into the big-nosed shadow. I mean, I know they explained that by it it was hypnosis, but... 
right. think people might have been thinking too much like the Adam West Batman or something to that effect. But right. It's certainly not a bad movie. I mean, what, what, what it gets right, I think, is, is really done right. And I think the acting is really good in it, too. I agree. I think it was a, a decent storyline. I think the diehard Shadow fans like me didn't like the beginning where the backstory was given. He was an opium warlord in the Golden Triangle, and that's where he learned his powers. That was, I think, a reflection of what we talked about uh, of the time, the 80s and 90s, where we wanted all our heroes to be flawed, have a dark backstory. Uh, I don't think, I think that's why they did it personally. I don't know. I think that was unnecessary. I, I also think you had to realize the time period, the, the, the studios were wanting to make pulp and comic adap- adaptations because Batman had been such a big hit in 89 for Tim Burton and Michael Keaton and Nicholson. Yes, yes. And I remember a quote from Stan Lee when I was reading magazines. I want to say it was Starlog, like the mecca of geekery in the 1980s was, was Starlog yes. magazine. Right. And it, I think it was a quote from Stan Lee after the Batman movie came out. And I know that I'm, I'm making it roundabout to shadow here to kind of keep in, in, in context, but Stan mm-hmm. Lee was smart enough to see that, okay, all of these older superhero comic titles, there's going to be an interest in this now because, right. because there's money to be made, especially if there's man in, in the name. And of course, and I know you're probably going to bring this up, so I hate to beat you to the punch, but a character like a, like Darkman or right. some of the other characters, really the 90s was not the best time for comic book movies. Right. But and in, in the end, Stan was right. And I think The Shadow got its movie made because of those Batman movies and kind of the quirkiness that Tim Burton right. had in, in his run on Batman. Sure, I agree. I totally, you, you summed up better than I could what I was trying to say. I think the other, some of the other weaknesses of the movie. You're right. I think they were very. They, it was it was an effects heavy movie that was limited by what the effects were able to do at the time. Now some of the effects in it are still pretty amazing by today's standards, but some of the morphing stuff was. It, it's not 2018, and it didn't even look good by the standards of the 90s. And, and audiences knew it. It was an ambitious movie. It was very ambitious. It was well financed by. It's obvious the studio envisioned this as a franchise. They really did. Yes. I think everybody was looking for a franchise at that time. And I think another weakness, a minor weakness of it, which is also a weakness of another movie that came out around the same time, The Phantom, which is, spoiler alert, is going to be is going to be another one of these lesser known heroes we'll discuss in a later episode. Mm-hmm. They're both period pieces. Period pieces, one, are expensive, and two, don't always work for modern audiences. Indiana Jones? Yeah, it worked. For The Shadow, I think maybe that hurt it. I don't know if I would have liked it updated. I, for me, that's part of the the charm of the shadow was the fact it was a period piece from the 30s. Yeah, you know? I, I actually think it would be difficult to do the character now because you have a character that can hypnotize people into not seeing him. But what about some teenager on the street, street corner with an iPhone? He's going to take a picture. Right. Know? Or you can actually get like infrared goggles now at an army surplus store. So it's yeah, it's. It, yeah, it's it's a tough it's a tough sell in modern times. But I think those were probably the, the glaring most glaring problems. But I agree with you. I think the acting was fine. I think that I'm kind of sad. I hope I hope that enough time has passed that maybe they'll give Shadow a, a second chance with a different cast, director, script, and with special effects. I think if caught up, they could be much more effective at portraying the shadow's powers what say ye on an idea of a more modernized version of the st- uh, of the, still a period piece but with today's technology behind it 
Yeah, I actually would love that. My dream of doing period pieces, I'm not a filmmaker by any means, of course, so I, I, I know it sound weird saying that, but you, you get the shooting styles of those days, maybe with a lot of panning or, or still camera shots, but yet, mm -hmm. yet the effects are modern day. I think you could do a happy medium with that. Sure. I think that another thing they did in the movie that was, I don't know if it sold well, it sold it for me. Even though it was color, obviously, they still tried to go with that film noir look to fit the period. And sometimes that works in color and sometimes it doesn't. Like the Adams Family movies, I thought did it very well, the way they would shadow Morticia and everything. Mm -hmm. They would do that a lot in the shadow and it just wasn't quite as effective, I don't think. Where they would do the shadow on Outball's face and do the real big spotlight on Penelope Ann Miller's, which is very much film noir cinematography. I just think I just think it's hard to pull off with on a color. Film the war of cinematography works best in black and white. I'm sure you agree with that. I think I've, you've said that before. Yeah, it, it, and especially in a lower resolution where right. it's it's every, not high definition where you can see every crease in the sidewalk or something like that. Right. In today's 4K world, that's hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I so that's probably the best where to leave off with at least where the shadow is from his inception to now. So I guess to wrap it up, we probably should talk about his legacy and, and things he influenced. We, 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 we told our listeners at the beginning, you'll see a, a pattern going here. What are some of the, of, of the things that you can see as a legacy of the shadow? Well, I absolutely believe the character should go down in history as the archetype and the forerunner for what the traditional, even to modern vigilante became or should be because again you, you got the genius intellect master detective skilled martial artist marksman with guns detective skills and any powers he has are learned not not something he was endowed with and right now just just off the bat you're, you're talking that fits batman that certainly fill fits the role for people like tony stark who used his brains to create uh suits of armor um, oliver queen yeah, and yeah, Hawkeye, I, I, you could probably even say somebody, like you said at the top of the show, like a Mr. Fantastic, I mean, even if you were to take the stretchy ability away from Mr. Fantastic, he was still a genius level intellect inventor. There was even a scene in the 90s movie where in the 30s, he Lamont Craston is hearing the plans uh, of somebody to create this weapon utilizing and uh, mixing atoms or and something like that and he, uh, to, to create an explosion. He says, oh, so you mean an atomic bomb? Right. Yes, that's right. catchy. And this is before right. the atomic bomb was actually created. And even if you delve into those superheroes that have powers like a Reed Richards, there's others that are still that millionaire playboy. Their money is as important to their to their superhero powers as their powers, like a T'Challa, like Danny uh, Rand. Dan Danny Rand. There's so many we can name that are that are that are like that. That are just uh, uh, Hank Pym. Mm -hmm. uh, we could, the list goes on and on. I think the idea of the dual identity. Ray Palmer's right. another one we probably could throw in there as a, as a, a, a rich guy who his money was as important as his, his smarts and whatever. Yeah. And you're starting the, uh, to talk the, the dual identity. Heck, that's literally over half the superheroes now. Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, Wonder Woman. Right. They, all, they all have these alternate identities that they take to walk down the street so they can blend in with right. the rest of us. Uh, yeah, you realize other than Captain America and Wonder Woman... It was a long time before we got a hero who was didn't wear a costume and went by their own name, like Luke Cage. That was the 70s. 
So yeah, it was, it was, that was, that was a mainstay of comics for what, 30, 40 years before. And even to this day, you still don't see that many of them. There's not that many Steve Rogers or Luke Cage's running around where, oh, or, or Tony Stark's where everybody knows who they are, the Fantastic Four. So yeah, I, I totally agree. That's definitely a part of the legacy. I think when you see the influences, you, you have people who are openly saying that they were influenced by the shadow and the creation of other comic book and fictional characters. Alan Moore's openly said V for V from Vendetta was inspired the look and the character. I think I can see that a uh, Bob, Bob Kane and Bill Finger. It, yeah. The shadow was definitely an influence on, on Batman. I, I, Sam Raimi wanted to do a shadow movie so bad and could not get the rights. He did dark man. Dark man was, was his attempt to make a shadow movie again, trench coat, sidearms, fedora hat. Right. Exactly. The, the, it, it, even if you think about the way he wore his bandages, they kind of were the same as the scarf wrapped around the bottom of his face. Right. I mean, to the point where it's been bandied about. Since the mid 2000s, 2004 to five, Raimi was going to make another shadow movie. He's as said as recently as 2012, he would love to do one, but it has to be, have the backing of the studio and a good script. I personally think Sam Raimi would be the perfect pick for a, a, a readaptation and take on the shadow. What say you on a Sam Raimi directed shadow that has a 2019, 2020 script and special effects behind it. I would love to see it. And heck Sam Raimi wrapped up three seasons of Ash versus Evil Dead. So maybe if he wanted to adapt it to stars as a TV show, I think it would work very well there. Sure. It could be episodic. I, I could totally see that. And then it fits in the vein of the old, the old radio show. I think Shadow, because he's a bit dark, he would work on Netflix. Mm -hmm. they're, lo they're losing the Marvel stuff. Why not? Right? Right. So I think the Shadow is, like I said, I, I got into him because he was my dad's favorite radio character and radio show growing up. He got me into him by listening to old 12 inch vinyls of the shadow and I loved it. And, and as I got, I've gotten older, I've gained more of an appreciation, a love for the shadow. I just think he's one of the coolest characters ever created. And thank God for, for William Gibson and the shadow. Cause 80% of what I know and love of comics probably doesn't exist without the shadow. What's your take on, on your final say on how important the shadow is and where he stands in your pantheon of geekery. Well, I can't say I know as much about The Shadow as you do, because you, you grew up on it more. I only knew about three or four radio stories and a, a few comics here and there. But what I like, I like I said before, the character was a trope for so many heroes. And had that character not been created and been created, quite frankly, as I said, like as, like as an accident, we talked before that the best hits are hits that evolve or kind of grow naturally not just organic yeah organic that's that's the perfect way to put it and that's exactly what happened with shadow and i think that's why so many other heroes they have aliases they have a certain set of skills that that line up with stuff the shadow does is because the, the shadow was the forerunner to all of that and just that alone i think deserves the character kind of being put on this pedestal as this is why we have what we have today is because of creations like this. So while I don't have the personal experience to it that you do, I think I have the respect as a comic geek and a superhero fan that the shadow is that type of character that if that character hadn't been made, a lot of characters we know and love probably would have never been thought of. Without a doubt. All right. That's going to bring us to the end of our inaugural episode of the lesser known geek hall of fame. And 
As we've said before, we're not really going to talk A-list characters here, but if there are characters that you want us to talk about, there's no suggestion not considered. This show will be posted at geekvilleradio.com slash shadow, and there are comments section there. And our Facebook and Twitter are also at Geekville Radio. And this show will be available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, the whole nine yards. Definitely give us a listen, give us a follow, give us a rating. We love to hear how we're doing in the eyes and ears of the listeners. And I'm always looking for improvements. So, Train, if people want to get a hold of you to maybe get some more suggestions on, on The Shadow or where they could go to learn about The Shadow, or if they just want to talk to you about comics or anything, where can they find you? I'm always available on Twitter at, at CrazyTrain underscore JB. You think we should go ahead and spoil it for the listeners and maybe give them a, a partial list of some of the, the characters we're, we're thinking about doing in this particular format later on to help help give them an idea of where we're headed? Yeah, I think I think it's a I think that's a that's a good idea to do. We already said the Phantom, and I think characters like maybe Flash Gordon, Buck uh-huh. Rogers, characters that their true roots go that far back, and maybe some fans may not know the influences that the, those characters had. I, as much as I like the Gil Gerard Buck Rogers TV show, that really was kind of a modern take on the character, and was a bit different from what the old comics were. Right. Some of the other ones I think we mentioned were Doc Savage. We, we talked about, let's see, what's some of the other ones we mentioned? I'm trying to remember now. Mandrake, the magician, the Lone Ranger, the Green Lone Hornet. Ranger's great. Green Hornet. Yeah. Even talked about going as far back as maybe Tarzan and, and Sherlock Holmes. So those are some of the ones we've, we've thought about on the hero side. Ming the Merciless is one we've, we've, we bantied about for a villain. So that you get an idea of, of what, where we're looking. If we, if you'd like to hear any of those, let us know if there's some we left out. Uh, the Spirit was another one we talked about, was an early one that we've thought about doing. So and anyway, those are, those are kind of our suggestions. Yeah, I guess it's my time to mention my playlist for the week on Spotify. That, of course, I'm on Spotify at CrazyTrain underscore JB, just like Twitter. I'm going to get a link to that in the show notes as well. This one is Classic Country. If you remember mine from a few weeks ago being Outlaw Country, if it's not on that list, it's probably on this list. <laughs> it's more of your George Jones, Loretta Lynn, Hank Sr., that kind of kind of country. So if that's more your flavor, that's what you're going to find on this one. So Seth will I'll link that up for you and, and take a listen and let me know how you feel about that. Give me a follow on Spotify. The weed of crime bears bitter fruit. Crime does not pay. The shadow knows. <laughs> All right, back in the present day, we hope you enjoyed this encore presentation of the Lesson Known Geek Hall of Fame, our inaugural inductee, The Shadow. Tomorrow will bring us day three of National Podcast Post Month. We will be diving into the wrestling world, into one of our sister shows, Classic Wrestling Memories. And it's actually one of our most popular episodes of Classic Wrestling Memories. And it's kind of ironic because the show is called Unpopular Opinions. So a show about unpopular opinions is actually popular. So if you're a wrestling fan, I'm sure you'll find something to like with that episode. So in the meantime, follow us on social media, the Facebook, the Twitter, and the Instagram is Geekville Radio. The website is Geekville Radio as well. You can find us on the podcatcher of your choosing, whatever search engine you use to find your podcast. We are Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much you name it. Just do a search for Geekville Radio. 
You can find all of our family of shows. We got the main feed you're listening to right now. That's got the flagship show, Geekful Radio. And as of this month forward, it's also going to start hosting all the spinoff episodes as well. But if you're not interested in all the spinoff episodes, we actually have separate feeds for all of them. So we have one for examining the Doctor for Doctor Who fans. We got one for Nostalgia Trip. We got one for Geek Hall of Fame. And, of course, Examining the Dead, but that show is for mature listeners because it's got some bad language. And give us a like, give us a follow, give us a review. Let us know what we're doing right. Let us know what we're not doing right. If there's other stuff you want to hear, if there's things you think we could be doing better. I always welcome feedback, especially when it's genuine. So you can hit us up, like I said, on the social media, or you can email me at seth at geekvilleradio.com. We'll talk to you folks again tomorrow. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any products or services unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the hosts and or guests do not reflect the views of GeekvilleRadio.com, the Wrestling Brethren podcast, family, or any of their affiliates. Some media used in Geekville Radio is the product of their respective copyright holders, all rights reserved. Good morning. So did I. What did you dream? I was lying naked on the beach in the South Seas. And the tide was coming up over my toes. The sun was beating down. My skin was hot and cool at the same time. It was wonderful. What was yours? I dreamed I tore all the skin off my face and was somebody else underneath. You have problems. I'm aware of that.